Driving down the highway in my old beat-up Chevy Got sunshine on my back, but my heart's feeling heavy This ain't no country for old men, but the world just ain't enough I can't say much about that, it's the first rule of film Hello and welcome to the First Rule of Film Club. I'm Hannah. I'm Eddie. And I'm Alex. And each week we invite you to watch a film along with us and then join us for a discussion on it. This week we've been watching No Country for Old Men. Dun, dun, dun. And just so you know we'll be discussing spoilers. If you haven't watched it, go off and watch it and then re-listen to this. Or if you don't want to watch it because it looks a bit too violent then I would just leave it. But anyway, back to the point. So No Country for Old Men, what's it about? Okay, well... To be fair, it's a it's a pretty difficult one to summarise because it's kind of quite ambiguous in what it actually means, what it's actually about, which I guess we'll try and sort of it dig into it in a is. bit. But the plot, it, it basically follows three characters. So an old kind of almost retired sheriff, uh, an evil, cl- you know, black-clad, bull-haircutted psychopath, <laughs> and just a kind of sort of regular cowboy guy who's <laughs> uh, played by Josh Brolin. Uh, so Josh Brolin's character, he stumbles across in the middle of a kind of hunting trip he stumbles across a group of dead uh, kind of uh, drug dealers just in the middle of the desert. And amongst them is a briefcase full of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So he does what any kind of, you know, good citizen would do and he just grabs it and runs off. Uh, And the rest of the film basically follows him being chased by this kind of psychopathic killer who's trying to get the money back. And at the same time, the sheriff is trying to kind of, you know, follow both their tails and trying to kind of figure out what's going on and and hopefully save Josh Brolin's character. Mm, that was very good. That was oh, very thank concise. You. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I loved it. I would say uh, it's quite standard Coen Brothers. Your trade-off is essentially that it's going to be super gripping, and mm. like the direction of it is obviously like amazing. You know, everything just looks really. I don't know how to describe it. Like I couldn't look away the mm. whole film. I was always engaged. But you do have the trade-off that the Coen brothers also will chuck a lot of nonsense in there. There's a few twists and turns that are not super satisfying. Mm. Um, like what? Yeah. It, do you mean kind of like the last engaging. sort of half an hour as well, like in, in general? Yeah. Well, yeah, but before that, what? Well, I mean, characters drift in and out. They die. Like, um, Obviously, the main character who's being chased by multiple people dies off screen mm. which is one of the main i uh, think that's like, a really really bold choice it's to a just, really left field decision i think it's the, the weird thing about this film is that the first two hours it's just kind of a genre piece it's kind of this sort of neo-western of you know this guy and he's got the money and he's kind of you know in these kind of shootouts and this cat and mouse game and you know the, with, with this kind of evil guy and you, you're so you get so invested in that story you kind of forget about everything else and then yeah. suddenly that that just comes to a stop suddenly, you know. The cut, the camera just you know pans, and then the main character is just dead on the floor. That's it. And, and it's actually kind of making fun of the genre when it yeah. does that. Like he, it does a really good job at being a certain film, mm. and then after the hero gets his iconic, uh, you know, like I'm putting you at the top of my list, Buster. Yeah. Like I'm going to come get you. Yeah, this is it. Final showdown. Like you know. basically, he just dies. Yeah. Like and mm. it comes out of nowhere, and mm. it's very Coen Brothers to do that kind of subversive making in terms of plot I think even though obviously they have their reasons I really didn't like that about this film because I felt so gripped by the first two hours having put off watching it massively Mm. then I really enjoyed it once we were getting into it I felt I was just getting into the swing and then suddenly it just 
kind of the whole momentum just stops and it takes a massively different turn. It's a lot more introspective. Mm. And I don't know, for me, I just personally didn't really like that. It made made me kind of finish the film thinking uh, wasn't really into that. Whereas mm. if, if the film had finished when Llewellyn was about to do his shootout thing and I just stopped watching there, I'd probably look back and think, oh, I really loved that film. Yeah, I think... To be honest with you, the first time I watched it, I really didn't like it at all. Whereas now it's one of my favourite films. But I think the first time I watched it, I had that same feeling where I was so invested in this kind of chase and in these characters. And it was almost like the director's kind of almost going, oh, you know, tricked you, you know, you got really, you know, <laughs> tricked you, you're really enjoying this film and you're really invested and you wanted a big showdown at the end, but we're not giving that to you. It's actually, you know, you're watching an art house film the whole time all about contemplating the evils of man and, you know, the follies of trying to beat death and stuff. Yeah. And the last half an hour is more kind of, it's kind of just the old sheriff sort of monologuing about kind of, you know, how he he thinks, you know, the, the world is screwed and, you know, all that sort of stuff, which is a bit of a kind of, you know, of an anticlimax. In but the words of our mum, it was the Tommy Lee Jones film. <laughs> <laughs> I do think when I went into it, though, I probably went into it with that attitude, which mm. is, it contributed to my enjoyment because I'm very much, whenever I watch uh, Quentin Tarantino or Coen Brothers movies, I'm a bit of a fan of that. Um, it's going to go somewhere really unpredictable mm. feeling. Yeah, you and kind of so, have to be on guard a little bit. Don't yeah, you? and so the whole film, I was really engaged by the fact that I felt like I, you know, was trying to see it coming because I'm always mm. sat there going like, you know, this character's about to die, this character's about to die, like, you know, this is going to be really unpredictable, and mm. I'm just going to see it coming just before it happens, and you never do. Yeah, and that's why I love them. But it's not like if you sit down and you're just expecting it to be straightforward, it is unsatisfying. Mm. I think it's a bit like, you know, um, Game of Thrones, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, but you watch season one and you think the main character is Sean Bean. And then at the end of season one, his head just gets cut off, you know, and that's it. And you think, what the hell? How can they go on from here? But then when you go back and rewatch it with the eyes of actually he wasn't the main character, you know, he he looked like he was, but actually, you know, you you watch it again in a completely different way. Because you were the only one of us who had seen it before. Mm. Yeah. And the opening monologue is quite clever, I think, because it Mm. talks about being a sheriff and you know, encountering evil that you don't understand and how that kind of freaks you out. And then it, and then we, like, land on who we think is the main character of the film. Mm. And uh, it's not the sheriff. And at first, that seems like a bit of a weird decision. And then once you finish the film, you kind of start to understand that, you know, it's he's not the main character. Mm. <laughs> it's, um, I really like, because I think in that opening scene, like you say, like, it, it sets up what I think is, like, the main theme. That with each generation, you kind of think that the world is getting more and more violent and more and more horrible, and you know, there's nothing we can do. And you know, Tommy Lee Jones, this kind of old sheriff, and mm. he talks about how in the olden days, sheriffs never needed to carry a gun, whereas nowadays, you know, there's this, you know, the hor- these horrible things that are happening that he just can't make sense of. And it's kind of all about the, the, the film, really, is kind of about his journey of trying to sort of come to terms with that. And that's mm. kind of shown by this whole kind of, you know, cat and mouse game that's sort of playing out. Yeah, I would say his scenes are very slow, though. Mm. And he does feel very disconnected from the exciting parts of the film mm. all the way through. Maybe that's intentional. You know, he's, he's supposed to feel like he doesn't really belong in the film because there's no country for his kind anymore. For old men, yeah. you could say. Well, you mm. think... <laughs> Not casting any aspersions <laughs> on your age. <laughs> but. But, poor Tommy. But, um, yeah, no, because I think at the beginning you, you look at Tommy Lee Jones and you think, okay, he's going to be the kind of Sherlock Holmes character and he catches up with them and he's going to work out exactly what's going on. But then I think the film ends up being more realistic than you expect it to be. You expect the hero to be able to escape anything and you expect the sheriff to be able to work it all out. But 
I think it's almost kind of like saying in the, the reality is that the sheriff, you know, he can't, he's not smart enough to catch up and there's nothing he can do to stop all this violence until it's too late. You know, these, these people who think they're a hero, they think they're the main character, they can just be killed off like, you know, like nothing, you know, you think in your life you're the main character, but, you know, you can, you know, anything can happen to you at any time. Mm. It is quite a pessimistic film in the end, isn't it? Mm. And the thing that I love about it is how iconic a few decisions are mm. in that film. Like, you know, the main villain, I've forgotten his name now. Anton Sugar. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. name. Sugar. Sugar. Anton Sugar. <laughs> and he's, uh, and he, like, his main weapon of choice is a compressed air canister, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is so genius. Like, yeah. that is just genius. It's just so bizarre. Like, I, I think just having a weird villain is so good. Like, his haircut yeah. is weird, his voice is weird. Like, compressed <laughs> well, air thing is weird. We were saying as well, yeah. the bowl cut. What wonders that does to <laughs> a, usually attractive men just absolutely destroys apparently, their Apparently, um, <laughs> I was looking at the trivia and apparently the Coen brothers, you know, took, took Javier Bardem to the hairdresser and said, like, we want this haircut. And apparently got it cut and he looked in the mirror and says, well, I guess I'm not getting laid for two months now. And the Coen brothers, <laughs> the Coen brothers were like, you know, they high-fived apparently because they were like, that's exactly what they wanted. That's exactly what they were going for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a great character. Mm. And I love that that's what freaks the sheriff out is when mm. he learns that, um, you know, there's no bullets in, you know, like in the skulls of the people that mm. Sigur's killed. Yeah. Because um, it is a bit of, like, it's a real shifting moment for the film when you just when people start to recognise each other, because very few of the main characters mm. ever speak to each other. They mm. never really meet, like, the three leads. Yeah, they and stay very separate. Yeah. I suppose that's because you're supposed to think it's all heading towards a showdown where all yeah. three of them are going to be in the same place, mm. and then it doesn't. Like it's a lot of suspense. Yeah. They come close to passing, like, Anton Chigurh and uh, the main guy, Llewellyn Moss, they have a phone call mm. together, and they've got that kind of shootout, which you, I guess you kind well, of count as When they it. turn up to Llewellyn's place and Sugar's just been there with the glass of milk, and he's like, that is aggravating. <laughs> <laughs> we need to... Look. <laughs> uh, oh, should we call it in, Sergeant? He goes, can't say what. And look for a man who's recently drunk milk. <laughs> I like... Because I was thinking about this today, actually. I was thinking there's only two bits where all three characters are kind of... They go to the same place, and one of them is Llewellyn Moss's kind of caravan mm -hmm. all three characters sit on that sofa mm. and then where Llewellyn Moss dies in that doorway there's later on Tommy Lee Jones he goes to that door he returns to the scene of the crime and he's kind of looking through the keyhole and Anton Chigurh's on the other side of that door in the darkness yeah and I from what I can remember those are the only two points where all three characters are in the same location they've all they've all been to that same spot mm. and they really point it out as well I think mm. a very clever part of the cinematography is that they actually do you know, use the same shots three mm. times in a row. Yeah, but slightly altered as well, which yeah. is quite... Mm. Like the reflection in the TV screen at Llewellyn's. Yeah. That was one of my favourite examples. Yeah, because when Llewellyn's watching it, he's kind of supposed to represent kind of the... Uh, just kind of like a normal guy, I guess. And he's just watching TV with his girlfriend. And then Anton Chigurh comes in and he just stares at the blank screen and he's got like a dark silhouette. And drinks some milk. Drinks some milk, which is just weird. Like, <laughs> anyone drinking milk in any film is weird. And oh, I don't know why. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I no, think no, any a grown man drinking milk is weird, and that's. No. I, you know that bit in Catch Me If You Can where Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> asks for some milk when he when he sits like he's the deadhead. Yeah, the yeah. Thing. Yeah, we got uh, something yeah. to drink. <laughs> I think that's a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> some milk. <laughs> but it's weird because you know, like the point the point of that scene is it's kind of weird to to ask for milk if you're if you're supposed to be a grown man. But I suppose everything about the Javier Bardem sugar character is it's that he weird. isn't like the villains that you've seen before. Yeah. Like, even his uh, weapon 
isn't it's, like what the sheriff is yeah. used to and it's kind of like what we were saying earlier about the evils of today the world's getting more dangerous but it's mm. doing it in a way that you can't quite keep up with mm. the new generation has to find new coping me- mechanisms for it because the old ways of dealing with things just don't work anymore mm. i saw like a um, really dumb theory online where um cause in that caravan Josh Brolin's character drinks a beer, and the other two drink the milk, and they were saying that's probably why Josh Brolin died because it's kind of foreshadowing that he hasn't got a very good bone structure because he doesn't. <laughs> 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 that's spot on. I bet yeah. the Coen Brothers. That's what they intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Woody Harrelson's character. Yeah. yeah. What was his deal? <laughs> I, I don't really sure. know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I've, I've watched it a few times. I still find his kind of little section kind of weird. So he gets asked by the Mexican boss, basically, to go and track down the suitcase, but mm. to stave him off from sugar. Yeah. Exactly. But then he doesn't last very long, because yeah. he speaks to Llewellyn, uh, like, informs him of how dangerous sugar is, mm. and then Sugar basically just, like... Kills him. Ends him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Straight away. But I think it's maybe just to suggest that, like, because he spots the suitcase, like, he basically solves the whole film. Yeah. Mm. He comes, very quickly. He, he kind of needs to be there, I guess, to and tie it together. he's about to force a showdown. Mm. And I think that point, Woody Harrelson's death, for me, signifies the point where the movie leaves conventional structure. Mm. Because he is meant to force a showdown, mm-hmm. but he dies well before a showdown can actually occur. Mm. And he doesn't even die in a showdown type scenario. Segur literally sees him on a staircase yeah, just and follows they just him. bump into each other yeah. in like a funny way. <laughs> yeah. And he goes like, let's go to my room. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> have, a little, let's <laughs> have a little chat. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's him gone. Yeah. Mm, I've got a counter theory. Mm. Yeah. So if we assume that Sugar is emblematic of death, mm. mm-hmm. um, and so his whole role in the film is that you know you can't avoid death and you can't really make deals with death, it's mm. almost circumstance and haphazard whether you get killed or whether you don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the sh- sheriff character, he's kind of symbolic of the law and justice prevailing mm. by man forcing it into that sort of way, trying to put on rules and regulations around, you know, this person should die because they've done bad stuff, this person mm. should live because they've done good things and trying to impose some sort of balance and order in the world. Mm. And then Woody Harrelson's character is doing the same thing, but w- with a lawless background. Mm. So he's from the kind of drug empire of Mexico and mm. they're doing what's in their interest, but mm. trying to sort of also impose some order in a weird way, but mm. circumventing the usual structures. Yeah. And in doing so, he's able to solve the whole mystery so much faster mm. because he doesn't have to do any of the due diligence that the sheriff's having to do. Mm. And so he gets much closer to solving it. But then the haphazard nature of death mm. is you that can't. it's inevitable and you can't outsmart death in a way. Mm. The only person who really gets close is Llewellyn's wife because yeah. she confronts it and she doesn't try and like bury it in all these rules and your own kind of like fallacy that you're in control. She just basically says, you can't, you can't do that. Not and just pa- faces not up to your him. Game. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I think that scene is great. Because like you say, I think with Anton Sugar, if he's supposed to represent death, he goes around and he, he kills anyone who's in his in his way. Like the start of the film is that kind of, you know, uh, cop who's like sort of captured him and he strangles him in that really horrible scene at the beginning. And the guy he kills, but then the guy in the gas station, he kind of, because he's not in his way, it's like he can't kill him unless he flips the coin and, you know, he, he takes the chance. The, I get the comparison to death. Like, I get how he's linked, obviously, to death because he kills so many people. Mm. But I don't really... I don't see that much evidence to suggest that he actually is an embodiment of death. 
Mm. Because he is walking around like a normal person. I mean, yes, he's killing a lot of people, mm. but a lot of characters kill a lot of people in movies and TV shows that don't represent death. Mm. I don't know if I, th- I totally agree that he is just death. You know? Yeah. I don't, well, I don't think he, he's supposed to kind of be death, but I think I think it's almost like kind of like the whole coin toss thing is supposed to say that he's kind of represented this kind of... Just this kind of chaos, really. Just this, he represents kind of, yeah, you know, kind of chaotic. Me, that's what he is. He's like bad. A, he's he's really like the ultimate murderer without a cause. Yeah. Like you know, he he's just chaos. Like you just need to tip him over slightly, mm. and then he'll like that's murder it. you. Yeah. If you get in his way, then you're dead. Well, and you said quite an interesting thing about how um, at the end, you know, when he's going over that junction, and then he gets um, the other T- car T-boned. T-boned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember the term that you used the other day. <laughs> and the other car crashes into him, mm. and it's like you can you can't kill him or catch him just by through skill or yeah. outwitting him. Yeah, well, if he is supposed to represent death, it's almost like the only way to beat him is by chance. And my, I've always thought that because Llewellyn's wife says, "No, I'm not playing your game. I'm not doing the coin toss," but he kills her anyway. Well, it's supposedly. Almost, yeah, well, it's kind of yeah implied. It's almost like you know he can't do that. He's not allowed to do that. If he if you're not in his way and you haven't you know, chosen to kind of, you know, play his game with chance. If he kills you, that's kind of, he can't do that. And that's almost fate saying, you know, that that car smacking into him, I've always thought was kind of, you know, his kind of comeuppance for trying to, kind of jumping out of the bounds of what death is allowed to do, if you know yeah. what I mean. I think it's, it like, uh, I've watched the show Mindhunter, mm. which is a little bit about how, you know, police and FBI suffered this wave of, you know, almost like crime without reason. Mm. A little bit... Um, in America. And so I feel like he is meant to represent for me a little bit like, you know, he is that crime without, um, mm. like, no passion yeah. behind it. You know, he's that guy that is committing murders that are impossible to investigate because mm. you've got it's no suspects for a random murder. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that's like, it's something that's explored a lot, but he's the most brutally cold character I've seen in mm. these, in that kind of depiction mm. and also like one of the most kind of badass like as a viewer you're scared of him mm. but you really respect him yeah. in a weird way he's got a lot of charisma too mm. the scenes which he's in you are always really he, good he's always in control isn't he but he never gets angry he's not like a kind of well I guess that is a sign of a psychopath isn't it he never gets really annoyed and he's like you know chasing people he's always just really calm Mm. that scene in the gas station I think is probably my favourite scene in the whole film where he's just talking to that guy and he says oh well, well I best be closing now because no <laughs> yeah. now's not a time now's not a, you know just calmly kind of everything he said you kind of pick him up on it and just kind of you know it is very mm. funny that scene mm. and it's the most Coen Brothers scene of the film mm. because the dialogue is so weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre and it's building up to something and you don't know what I was surprised actually that the dialogue was so normal in the film usually they yeah. lean really heavily on huge long like characters explaining weird things about themselves yeah. and trying to let you into like a level that you don't expect to get mm. in normal life. I suppose Llewellyn basically doesn't say much at all in the mm. whole film. He's, He's quite a, man a silent character. Yeah. Cause he is, I think because they're saying like, this is the stereotype character and he's, you know, simple mm. because these are simple films mm. and you know, once you deviate from the simplicity, that's when you get the more Coen Brothers style, like, you know, 
I'm going to give you a long monologue about yeah. how I feel about the world. <laughs> and, you know, I'm scared. And I'm, and I'm evil. A coward, and I'm, and yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I look up at the stars and I wonder if they're staring back. Like, yeah. like long, you just think this isn't necessary. And then I saw my daddy. Yeah. <laughs> I and think... he gave me some money and I lost it. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know much more about that. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. When he was yeah. describing his dream, it did remind me of like, you know, when you have a dream and you wake up and you can't really remember much about it, but someone asks you and they press you for details and you're yeah. kind of like uh. well I can't really <laughs> something to do with money and I think I lost it I can't remember yeah. it was a bad joke but I can't remember what it was doing there I wrote down um, as well the fact that people have principles mm. you know the coin toss thing how uh, uh, Sugar always has to toss the coin mm. to decide whether he's going to kill you if you get it right he's not. like yeah he has to let you go but yeah. also Llewellyn has quite strong principles in the way that he goes back to get the guy give the, the water. guy some water yeah he could have just left and then been done with it. He would it. have been fine. Well, well, actually, no, we were saying he wouldn't have been fine, would he? If he hadn't given the guy the water, he wouldn't have known he was being followed. So he probably would have just been killed in his sleep. Mm. But um, I was just thinking, actually, I was thinking characters with, with weird voices, because I think the Coen brothers quite like that. Because in a lot of their films, like Fargo, everyone's got a weird accent. Or there are a lot of their films are set in the deep south where everyone's got a really weird, like, deep accent. And I think... <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a demographic we will be tapping into. Yeah, no, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, anyone who's, you know, anyone offended by that accent. But um, but I was thinking, actually, to have a character with a weird accent actually elevates your film by, like, quite a bit, I think. Even though it's such a basic thing, but for me, at least, I think, if there's a character with a weird voice, that, for me, is, like, you know, I'm it's, in. Yeah, it's easy to follow, isn't it? That's why one of your heroes is Danny DeVito. Well, yeah, Danny DeVito, he's in a film, he's got a weird voice, great. Matthew McConaughey, weird voice. Steve any Buscemi. any monologue he says is good. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I think, like, I'm not saying they're bad actors because they, they are really good actors, but I think having a weird, a character with an odd voice or a really thick <laughs> accent just makes all their lines so much better and I don't know why. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Okay, I feel like we should rate the film, <laughs> even though it's subjective mm. and it doesn't make any sense. As I said last yeah. week, it's not flat. Mm, no. It's not a flat scale. It'll probably change, and it depends. Yeah, you know, and, you know it's take it with a pinch of salt. Three-dimensional, timey-wimey thing, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. I think it's an <laughs> eight and a half for me. I would say I think I give it nine and a half. I think it's a great film. Like for me, a ten. Out, it's not. It's like not quite run. ten out of ten. It's not quite. But yeah, nine and a half. It's almost perfect. Wow. I think the first two hours, I would give that an eight. Yeah. But the last 30 minutes probably give that like a two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The only thing I'd I really like, like to add that <laughs> Hannah was very tired um, when she started watching this film. And yeah. you were like, it was like watching a flower start to droop, you know, yeah. in, the, in the midst of a drought. <laughs> Actually, that, that would be my, uh, my review for anyone who hasn't seen it. Don't watch it. If you've got to get up early the next day, I wouldn't yeah. watch it. That would be my, that's my sort of takeaway. I literally think we stopped it at about two hours when mm. I was still enjoying it and I said oh I think I might go to bed now and mm. watch the rest of it tomorrow but then I didn't and I ended up staying up and that might have impacted my enjoyment of the last mm. half an hour <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was you, I mean you were almost like one of the characters in the film you know you took that risk and it didn't pay off you know yeah. you kind of yeah. you know you gambled you know you could have walked away just like Llewellyn could have walked away but you didn't I had to call it and you paid the price yeah you had to call it you couldn't call it for you <laughs> I, I pause it I can't pause it for you <laughs> yeah I think overall I would give it a 7 because okay. the majority okay. of it I really liked it. Yeah. and I liked the last monologue that the sheriff did mm. it's just the conversation between the main sheriff and the sheriff who'd came, come before him mm. went on for a bit see I quite like that bit but again I think it's 
the first time well, I was not quite to this, but then I think I think the, this film definitely has rewatchability. But I, I mean, by the time we've said this like five times now, but like I think the first time you watch it, it is a bit of a shock. But I would honestly tell you to come back and watch that again in like five years and see how you feel. Yeah. Because then those bits actually, I think, stand out a lot more. I mean, it was a lot, 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 <laughs> lot better than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, that's good. I don't know why in my head I thought it was going to be really long and boring and like mm. loads of old men. <laughs> Even though it's called No Country for Old Men, I just thought there'd be yeah. loads yeah, of old men. It's a dystopian <laughs> world where old men are outlawed and they have to live in like the Badlands. And but it's good. it's good. I think it's good that, you know, if we can use this podcast to watch things that we wouldn't watch otherwise, mm. yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and if we can get other people to do the same as well, then I think we've, you know. And it really made me think about a lot of stuff. Like, there's a lot of things that I noted down that we haven't even discussed today. Mm. I can see why it's become, you know, a often written and spoken about. Yeah. Them. There's a lot to unpick. Like, I think we've just scratched the surface, <laughs> really, to quote. <laughs> to quote <laughs> Mr. Alistair Plum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Well, I have actually prepared a little game. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> It is based on the coin toss conceit in the film. <laughs> I don't think they invented that, but <laughs> you know, I was going to say it's a bit. Um, what's that guy Harvey Dent in the bat? In Batman? yeah, yeah. He flips it's, coins, doesn't he? Yeah, Do you think they've ripped stole, that off. Who stole who? I don't know. Oh, they must have stole that from Batman. <laughs> you you can't co- steal the coin toss. Well, no, that no, but having, no, but having a villain who kind of flips a coin, yeah. whether he kills, because Batman's really old. But also that book, because No Country for Old Men is a book, which is quite old, I think. I don't know. Write in, email in if you know, and we'll send you a actually, um, Independence Day research. It's very similar because he starts off the point where he becomes pure evil mm. in the comic books and mm. he stops doing anything good mm. is when he stops letting people call whether they want heads or tails and he mm. just flips the coin and goes mm. heads and then he looks at it and it's a double headed coin. Yeah. Mm. And then he starts to kill people. Yeah. Mm. You've got to know what you're calling for. Yeah. Mm. Don't put it with the other <laughs> potters. Yeah. <laughs> It'll get mixed up with the rest. It'll just be a coin. Which it is. So okay. So what's the game? So the game is, we toss a coin. Mm-hmm. You call it. Okay. If you win, you don't have to do anything. Okay. You win the success of laziness. Okay. Oh. But if you lose, you have to do a forfeit, which I have pre-prepared in the little okay. bowl of forfeits. It's okay. a really okay. ominous-looking set of paper. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in a tiny bowl in front of us. Mm. For those who aren't watching the live stream. And in Han- <laughs> on Hannah's thumb is balanced a, a, a little coin with uh, the year 1997 on it. I'm actually not very good at flipping coins. She's kind of staring, well, I'll put my, I'll put She's staring at us like wide-eyed. Oh, oh you oh, are bad oh, at nice. flipping okay. coins. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, who wants to go first? Can you call it for me? <laughs> I cannot call it for uh, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go for heads. Tails. Oh, okay. Shit, okay, okay, Pick right. a forfeit from the forfeit okay. bowl. Do you want to sort of, uh, sort of um, dictate what's happening? He's opening it. It says cinnamon teaspoon challenge. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh you actually got it. Uh, oh, Jesus. Okay. I just bought new cinnamon as well. Oh, fresh. Is it worse? Oh, oh all my cinnamon's on okay, the Okay, if they be it's just gone all over my leg now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't, Mum, it hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, for the listener, that was now cinnamon oh. all over our recording studio. Oh, just put it on my skirt. Well, no. Make <laughs> it off your leg. Oh, no. Guys, we're losing the, we're losing yeah, the listeners. Yeah, we're losing, this yeah, is yeah, dead yeah. air. Okay, this right. is dead air. Right, okay, you... you <laughs> riff, someone riff. <laughs> I'm just going to lick it off my leg. Can we just say, I'll, I'll lick what? it off my leg. Just, he 
What even is cinnamon, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just, just like, rubbing it into his hand. I know. Well, I don't know what I can do. Right, I'm just gonna lick. Right, I'm just gonna lick it. Off. No, just can lick I just it off your can knee. I lick it off okay, my knee? Okay, okay, lick it that off is your a spoonful's knee. worth. Lick it off your knee. Oh, <laughs> that's so gross. Got a bit of hair in it as well. <laughs> that's oh. actually worse than doing the actual challenge. Oh, oh my god. Oh. Oh. That was so, so dry. funny. Oh, oh dear. Right. Okay. <clears throat> that was entertaining for the listener. <laughs> so we couldn't see any of that. Shall I flip the coin? It was entertaining for, Hannah for now. me, though. <laughs> right. I'm going to flip the coin for you, Hannah. Okay, go on. Here we go. Oh, that was, that was well That done. was much that better was than well my done. coin, okay. but. What are you calling? Heads. Heads. Oh, yes. I knew it. Oh, shit. Okay, right. Oh, Eddie, you flip it for Alex. Okay, right. Oh, no. Okay. I okay. think I'm going to go for... We've had a tails. We've had a heads. Yeah. So Statistics. statistically, <laughs> it must be a tails. It must be tails again, yeah. <laughs> heads. Oh, oh, all that maths. All that maths degree Bloody for nothing. Old. I knew doing all that maths was pointless. Mm. Oh, God. Write a poem <laughs> in 60 seconds about cheese. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the listener isn't going to be able to see that. <laughs> no, because he that writes it for 50 seconds and then he recites it. That is so much better. Someone riff about poetry <laughs> yeah. for 60 I would, seconds. Yeah, just riff about cheese for 60 seconds. Well, it's okay. I, I can cut out the 60 mi- seconds that he's spending. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Wait. Well, actually, we can spend that 60 seconds cleaning up the cinema. Yeah, that's true. Ready for your uh, recital? You can't keep writing. The minute's up. <laughs> well, he's on the last line. You can finish the line. Yeah, you can finish the last the line you want. Okay, I'm back from my poetry cave. <laughs> this is a poem about cheese. Cheddar is delish. Mm. Had to put it in my dish. Mm. Also manchego. But where did all my friends go? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why not try mozzarella? Goes well with a can of Stella. Mm. And that was my poem about cheese. Oh, brilliant. I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I thought I'd go for the wholesome slant on cheese. (laughs) No, but what about your friends? It's a bit sad. sad. It's like your friends have left you and then you've resorted to alcohol. Well, Mm. all great art has to have some sort of sadness contrasted Mm. with Mm. happiness. And I like to think that the sort of like, he started with cheddar in a dish. Mm. And then... Starts kind of quite upbeat. But then his friends leave him Mm. and he finds solace in alcohol. Yeah. Mm. So actually it all works out fine Mm. in the end. It's a bit like No Country for Old Men where on the surface you think it's just a fun genre piece, but then actually it's it's all about the inevitability of death. It's heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. <laughs> it's a heavy note to end on. I don't know. If <laughs> Should we do one more? Yeah, one more just to kind of yeah. I don't. I don't want to leave the listener with oh, kind of. A, point, right, I say I'll listener. Alex, you do it. You're the best flipper. Tails. It's heads. Oh. Right, okay. Take a forfeit from the forfeit ball. God. Oh God. Tell us the story of the best. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the story of the best meal you ever had. Oh, this would be a nice upbeat ending. This would be <laughs> Shit, the cinnamon one was so savage, actually. Yeah, well, it? yeah, why did I get <laughs> The best meal I ever had. How is that a forfeit? <laughs> having a nice chat about a nice <laughs> meal you had once. In what way is All that I had a punch? to do was write a poem. Poor Eddie had to lick cinnamon off of his knee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I was just thinking. Run out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right. Tell us the story. Sorry, tell about us about this brilliant meal, meal you've ever had. It was probably... Just keep it brief, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not my superpower, to yeah. be honest. So it was a few years ago, for Easter, 
we were going to go out to eat somewhere, but then we decided we were going to have a nice meal in. And so dad had bought a big um, piece of beef to roast. And I think that year for Lent, I've been a uh, vegetarian. So I was quite excited to eat meat again. Sorry to all you veggies out there. And uh, it was a delicious piece of beef. And it, we were so hungry by the time it was lunchtime and just had like the nicest slab of roast beef with perfect Yorkshire puddings that mum had made that were like so fluffy and everything. Delicious gravy on it all. Some mm. roasties as well as Yorkshire puddings. So you know it's top tier. And then I think we also had some of those um, green beans wrapped in ha- ham, you know, wrapped in like bacon. Yeah. Did we oh say um, keep it brief? No, yeah, we did. But I mean, there's, no, there's just no way. <laughs> and I don't see how this is a forfeit either. Yeah. <laughs> it's a forfeit for the listener. <laughs> I think they're the only ones to get see the how you've strategically planned this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, like if you are if you're hungry listening to this, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're listening to this, head on to our Instagram page, uh, and we'll we'll be putting up the recipe uh, shortly for uh, for this delicious for Hannah's beef <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Hannah's unabridged version will be up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, how can the listeners get in touch with us then? Well, they can email us at filmclubrules at gmail.com. <gasps> oh my god. Ah. And they can also look at our Instagram, which is the same Film Club Rules on Instagram. Yeah. What's our film for next week, Eddie? I can't remember. What is it, Anna? <laughs> <laughs> it's Days of Bagnold Summer. <laughs> Days of Bagnold Summer. By I'm so glad Hannah didn't go, I can't remember, Alex. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have just handed it right back to I you. I knew it had a B in it. So, yeah, Days of Bagnall Summer by Simon Bird. So for, that's Will off the Inbetweeners directorial debut. Uh, we're going to check that out next week. And I think if you want to watch along, it's on Amazon at the moment. So yeah, so we'll see you next week for Days of Bagnall Summer. If you want to get in touch with us, then send us an email. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.